It's so good. Why am I in that Florida? Florida made it illegal. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 309. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlin, and I'm joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And the one and only Marco Sanchez. Hello, everybody. Hello. And in this episode, we are not going to be talking about the policy updates that just hit yesterday. Yay, oh, for wait. policy updates. Yay. Now, wait, you might be saying policy policy updates yesterday that was a long time ago that was like the beginning of last week that's right we're recording this episode from the past i always said the future which would have been wrong no 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 but but it it is it is from the past but it's for the future it's for well they're all for the future right (laughs) but but what if i like to live in the past uh can't help you there that just sounds like a personal problem anyway yes yes (laughs) Yes. all right so uh this episode is we are going to be talking about Judge Foundry. And in order to have a, uh, a discussion, uh, instead of just being three braying mules pushing a ball around the courtyard, we decided to invite on one of the Judge Foundry uh, exploratory members, I think is the correct word, Mr. Mr. Joe Klopchek. Howdy. Hi, Joe. Howdy. Uh, also known as Texas Joe. Yes. Joe Klopchik, from... Texas Joe. I live in Seattle. I'm a level three, and I'm one of the exploratory committee, committee members of Judge Foundry. Or, when yeah. you hear this, the board of the, one of the members of the board of Judge Foundry, since that will yeah. officially have changed. So, let's, let's travel. Before we get into Judge Foundry itself, let's, let's travel a little bit back in the, in the way back machine and and set the set the time to approximately six weeks ago. Um, so about six weeks ago, um, Judge Academy made an announcement that it had lost its contract with Wizards, i.e., uh, no foils or no dollars or a combination of no foils and no dollars. We're not exactly sure, and they were not going to be supporting judges anymore. You can go back and listen to. Uh, I think 306 was the episode that we talked about that. While this was a surprise to some, it wasn't a surprise to others. There were signs as early as like April. So judges have always needed a infrastructure for communication and training. Always in the judge academy. That was true in the judge academy days. That was true in the judge program days. That was true in the, you know, 1998 early days kind of thing um so there's always been a need for an infrastructure even if even if judges don't realize it now since then uh several organizations have sprung up have you guys been noticing any of those or following any of those yeah i I've, a few of them yeah we've seen some of them uh mexico i believe has their own organization mm-hmm. that they're talking about right yes uh same thing with magic judges finland right and uh something called the uh an e it looks like an EU or European Union focused program called the International Judge Program. So they've all made announcements to support various regions. However, 
and we've we've tweeted out and shared out via Facebook and and X or Twitter or whatever their information. However, we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about them because a we're predominantly a U.S. based podcast. We are uh, and English based, and two. Uh, they haven't put out a whole lot of information other than we're here. But the organization that has put out the most content, has put out the most information, and is a English-based U.S.-Canada organization is Judge Foundry. So uh, we asked uh, Joe to come on and talk to us a little bit about that, given that uh, you're a uh, Go live date is looking pretty close. Yeah, I would agree that it looks pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, as we record this, because we are recording this uh, a week and a half, uh, like a full week before we normally do. Um, and given when the Judge Foundry go live date is, this episode could be released before or after the go live date. So our verb tenses might shift a little bit um but because we just don't know would you say brian that our episode is going to be a bit wibbly wobbly timey wimey with things yeah <laughs> got i that. hate you so much got, that. <laughs> <laughs> got him so, that's a stupid commander deck okay anyway uh so we we didn't we didn't invite Joe on just to hear about my hate of the Doctor Who precon. Uh we're here to talk about uh Judge Foundry. So before before we get into this, uh yeah, there's the possible need for disclaimers. Um I have been in some conversations reviewing articles and stuff like that for Judge Foundry. Um Charles, uh what's your relationship? Uh currently I'm a moderator for their Discord. Uh, so I've I, I don't actually get to know anything in advance of anything, but uh, I, I'm working on developing relationships with the with Judge Foundry. Okay. All right. So, Joe, uh, what what's uh what's what is Judge Foundry? Um. So starting from the top, Judge Foundry is a, a new judge program. It's a new set of infrastructure. A lot of the things you said before that allows judges to have a community. Uh, and we're focused on the U.S. and Canada. Um, some of the big things that are notable are that Judge Foundry is a nonprofit, unlike some previous judge programs, and or every previous judge program, because we're a real entity and we are a nonprofit, uh, and that gives us a lot of advantages. Um, so the two organizations before one was a one was structured as a for-profit business entity and the other just wasn't structured as a legal entity at all it was yeah you you could argue there were multiple iterations of the judge program uh air quotes um in the history of it from 2000 or 1994 to 2019 but none of them were real entities anyways we're a nonprofit that gives us some advantages we can talk about those um but okay. we're a business league and that means we represent the interests of our members judges tend to work as magic judges and be employed as magic judges and do business as magic judges so as a business league our like express purpose is to make the environment of magic judging for our members better so that okay. can manifest itself in lots of ways can can i ask can i ask a question this is this is f because i've seen this come up a lot and i don't understand the difference how is that 
different from a union? Because um, isn't also a union's goal to make things better for its members? So it, we can use some examples to explain a little bit more broadly, but I can give you specifics as well. Um, there are things that aren't unions that are business leagues. Like there's a National Realtors Business League, or it's like the National Association of Realtors, um, is formed the same way that Judge Foundry is. Realtors are independent contractors that work with individual people. They don't go, they're, uh, people selling houses can't go negotiate with the country to agree to pay all of the realtors more money. Right? That, does, that doesn't work. That's how unions work. Unions agree to collectively bargain, usually with one or two employers. And while it might be possible for judges to collectively bargain, the nature of our work makes that very difficult. Business leagues try and make the environment that we're working in, so our relationships with those tournament organizers and with each other better, and aren't just focused on the actual employment contract. All right. So how is what, how is what you're doing now? And, and we've talked about already referenced a couple different iterations. How is what you're doing now so different than Judge Academy? So what we're doing is different in a bunch of ways. If you've read our articles, you see our levels are different and some of our goals are different. Um, but in terms of what we actually provide, it's it's very similar. We're going to have a website. We're going to have Discord, social media, all of these other communication platforms that people want to have as part of their uh, judge career, judge experience, judge community situation. Um, the the main difference is that as a nonprofit, we get to say yes to volunteers. Um, it's something I experienced many times with Judge Academy, and I'm sure y'all have as well, is if we thought Judge Academy should be doing something, we would go talk to them and say, hey, here's a cool thing that Judge Academy would do. And they would say, well, you can't do that for us for free, and we don't want to pay you to do it because we don't have any money to do it. So they couldn't just take free work because they're a for-profit company and that's how laws work. But as a nonprofit, we get to say, yeah, you're one of our members. You want to write exams for free? Great. That's exactly what we're here for. Please help us write exams. Please help us write articles. Please help us come up with new certifications and do all the other things that the judge program used to do uh, as a loosely organized group of people that didn't have an entity. So... To to drive this point home for the, the listeners, um, things like questions or website designs or stuff like that, like I could not go to Judge Academy and say, I have written these nine exam questions I would like you to incorporate un or unless they specifically paid me or your website is having problems. I would like to fix it. Right. Okay. With both Judge Foundry and Judge Academy, if you wanted to do a anniversaries project, um, you might have a little bit more difficulty getting anniversary information from Judge Academy, exactly. but there was nothing stopping you from doing it anyway. But there were definitely certain things that you you could not do, whereas, I, as I understand it, with Judge Foundry... If I am a competent web developer and want to do something on the website or be involved in the website to implement some sort of features, then I have an avenue to do that. Right. And we're going to be openly soliciting those kind of volunteers because there's lots of things we want and we need people to help us do them. 
In fact, you've already you've already opened that up some, right? Correct. Uh, you're not a formal entity yet, uh, as of our, our recording now. But you've you've got an article out there. Um, people who've joined the Discord Discord have been able to say, raise their hand up and say, "Hey, I'm interested in helping out with translations," or "I'm interested in helping out with with X." So that's all happening now. Right. As of now, you can't join Judge Foundry because we don't have a website where you can click the join button. Um, but we exist as an entity. We're incorporated in the state of Minnesota as a 501c6. We're legally an entity. We're working on the IRS things, doing all the paperwork. Um, there's more details in one of the articles about all the things we have mm -hmm. to do to be legally a thing. Um, but once we turn things on, yeah, we'll need volunteers. Okay. Um, all right. So who are the exploratory members, like the group of y'all that got together and said, let's go make this a thing? Who, uh, how did y'all come together? <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll tell you who they are, just so we're clear who we're talking about. It's me, Joe Klopchik, uh, and we have Paul Baronet, who's a level three magic judge, GP head judge from the old times, and has been around one of the judge apps people. Uh, Amanda Coots, who's a level two, but big on the flesh and blood scene, head judge, one of the USRCs, excellent judge, um, is connected with a lot of the old... CFBE people and well connected in the community. Lots of people appreciate Amanda being on the team. Uh, and we have Rob McKenzie, who's uh, level three from Minnesota. He's understandably handling a lot of our uh, incorporation things, but uh, being in Minnesota and us being incorporated in Minnesota, um, and he's been around. Was the regional champion or not? Was the regional coordinator of the North? Correct, right? I have the right region. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, for a long time, and then John Brian McCarthy, who is also a level three, and uh, also old GP head judge, and he works in nonprofit uh, marketing, so has a lot of uh, knowledge about some of the things that we might want to do. So yeah, that's our exploratory membership committee members. Uh, how did we come together? Yeah. Uh, well, the 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 story goes that as as Perlman explained. We met in a tavern. Yeah, right? we met in a tavern. It was a okay. it was a dark night. In uh, yeah, somebody um, cast fireball. Yeah. Uh, so there were signs about Judge Academy slowly having troubles, or you know maybe not existing, or whatever it was. And they had a leadership conference in Alexandria, Virginia, um, about I guess ten weeks ago now. And uh, all five of us were there, but also there were other people. And we talked a lot about the future of the judge program. That was like the main theme of the conference. And we didn't like just all talk about Judge Foundry and figure out how to make Judge Foundry there. We had a, an entire session where people were talking about what it means to have a judge union. Like that was a thing that people legitimately talked about. Whether that's a good idea, that's for another podcast. But uh we talked about all kinds of other things we could do to improve the judge program and what the future might look like. And then after that conference, the five of us kind of gravitated together and found each other in various ways. And we're like, okay, we want to be ready to do something. We're willing to do something. We're willing to make a thing. We know what it might look like. And we started doing research, figuring out why a 501c3 versus a 501c6 being a charity business league, all of these things. Um, and that's kind of how we came together and started talking about things. Now, did those talks lead to the realization 
that this would only expand to judges in the U.S. and Canada? Or was there another reason as to why it was geographically limited to the United States and Canada? I would say that when we started talking, um, I don't remember who had the idea initially uh, or, or said the thing initially, but it was very quick that we were like, we want to do this for the U.S. and Canada, uh, specifically because it's easier. Like one of the reasons yeah. why other judge programs have struggled is because serving the entire world is very complicated. And if we're going to do this on a shoestring budget with hypothetically no support from wizards or TOs or anyone, we can't handle the whole world. We can't do translations. We can't do logistics. We can't mail anything to anywhere in the world. We'll focus on US and Canada, try and build a system that we think works, and then let the rest of the world, you know, just use what we have. Like, we don't want to not let other people use stuff, but that was like almost day one, day two, that was like, yeah, we want to focus on US and Canada because we know it. We're like well ingrained with with most of the or all of the leadership community in the US and Canada. So that was our focus. Yeah. So the thing that came up on the L3 forums using using judge apps and the the L3 channels on the, on the Discord there was some initial discussion of like someone put out i guess coming out of Vegas there was some some meeting where where some L3s decided that we needed to elect leaders and it was it was like all right what are these leaders going to do and the pitch was the leaders that we elect are going to decide and it was just like there was a right there was a whole lot of discussion whole lot of back and forth and it was it was just presented as a vote yes no no discussion kind of thing but L- L3s being L3s and L3s liking to talk um still had discussions anyway and eventually even like a week before the announcement we were coming to the realization that a fully global program global organization just was not doable and then a week later uh you know it's kind of it's kind of funny it's like all those discussions were going on and then there was like a lack of u.s participation from from some folks so i i guess uh in in hindsight that makes sense now yeah there was a particular comment that we put in our initial announcement uh, article was Toby Elliott, your IPG author extraordinaire, said it sounds like some highly motivated people should just pick a thing to do and go do it. Like yeah. was the gist. I don't. I don't have the quote in front of me. And when I read that, having being already the person who's highly motivated and already started doing that among all of this discussion, I was like, yeah, Toby, you're really smart. Like. It, it was it was instead of trying to do something top down, just do several things bottom up and see what see what works. Right. Okay. So, Judge Foundry is going to be at least for U.S. Canada the Judge Program. So I'm gonna get a few a, a few questions. Let's get a few questions out of the way that seem to dominate the, this, these conversations from what I've seen online or what we've seen online. And on Reddit and in various Discord channels, does this mean that there is going to be foils again? Okay, so I, I think I've been asked this question more than any other question. Yep. And the <laughs> honest answer that I've told tons and tons of people is that we don't know whether there's going to be foils. Um, when Wizards of the Coast ended their contract with Judge Academy, 
I saw that as them probably not wanting to do foils anymore, and I saw that me going to Wizards, or me, any amount of judges going to Wizards and demanding foils would probably not work out very well. Um, so we're not planning to have foils. None of our program requires having foils. But if they show up, if Wizards of the Coast decides, hey, we want to have judge foils again, and look at all these wonderful geographic organizations here's some foils y'all figure out what to do with them we would love that to happen but i'm not expecting it to happen tomorrow i don't know when it's going to, i don't know if it's going to happen i don't know what wizards wants to do so yeah right. the answer is maybe wizards seems to like judges despite some of the things they do so we'll see <laughs> in their words they say they like judges okay so Getting that out of the way, and and b believe me, I know how foils, uh, when anything involves foils, how that can dominate the conversation. Oh, do you? So, or do you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have. I might have some experience in this, so I just wanted to get that up front, out of the way. Foils are maybe don't count on it. Okay, it's worth noting that like another conversation I've had with foils over and over again, and I understand that not everybody feels this way, is that there's a group of people that thinks the foils were the worst part of the judge program. Yes, that that, that was absolutely what I wanted to ask or bring up. Um, yeah, so it, like, there's a lot of judges. I mean, we know we saw the judges that went to conferences. Nobody specific, but like, there's people that certified to be level one in the judge academy era and even before that to go to conferences and get foils, and like. Yep. There's not a lot we can do about that. Like, you can vet people. There's ways around it. But that's not, like, that's not what our job is. That's not what judging is. We, we don't want to kick we, people out just to kick people out. Right. We were never meant to gatekeep foils. Right. I, I used to always say that I don't care what your motivation is so long as you do the work. And what we shifted to over time was people whose motivation was get the foils and they didn't want to do the work. And that really kind of hurt. The thing that I am happy to be passed isn't the people who showed up at conferences just to get foils and not do work. The thing I am happy to be passed is all of the drama that surrounded that kind of behavior. That, like, man, more people wanted to talk about how this conference organizer or this person or whatever was very motivated by foils. Like, why don't we just not worry about that anymore it's yeah. it's going to require a change in the mind sh mindset of judges and, and judge candidates and, and people that have been around for a while um because in many ways foils uh were a mark of either success or or even you know i, I have achieved these things um with without them um we'll need to find a new way to um, stake a claim in success and, and, and measure what we've done and, and how we've accomplished things. And I, I think it's a good thing for us to do. All right. Actually, let's take a quick aside before we do that, uh, before we ask this next question. When you answered the question, how are we different from Judge Academy? Your first answer was our level structure is different. Can you talk real quick about what your level structure is? Uh, so Judge Foundry has now announced five levels and one certification. Uh, we can talk about the event admin certification in a bit, but the five levels are the most interesting and pressing part from the um, Magic Judge point of view. And the idea here is that 
people who've been around for even a little bit will know that level two is a very, very, very wide level. Still is as of now. There's level two judges who've been to one large scale event or zero large scale events. And there's level twos that have been level two for 10 years and are experts. And that, that not mapping very well isn't great for the levels. It's unfortunate for a few reasons. Uh, it's hard to get recognition because nobody can tell the difference between you and another judge from just looking at the thing. There's not these opportunities to say, yeah, I leveled up, let's celebrate. Um, and then it's difficult for TOs because if a tournament organizer has never heard of you and you're just a level two, they have to expect the minimum that they could expect from a level two. And yeah, they can talk to people and figure things out, but it puts more burden on them. So the idea was we wanted to build a system that was more granular, especially in the level two area, so that it could represent the skills of judges and um, give people opportunities to advance and be recognized for that. So I, I guess I can walk through what each of the levels are. Um, level one is very similar to what, or it's essentially the same as what level one is right now. Um, it's a, a local store judge who isn't expected to know anything about competitive rules enforcement level to get the certification and who might come to large events every once in a while but isn't, you know, it's the entry level, I'm interested in, ma in judging magic. Does that match what everybody's expectation of L1 is? Because I, I don't think it should change, so if you have different opinions, then... No. That sounds about, <laughs> sounds about right. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, we step up to level two. The, the minimum for level two is that you know what competitive rules enforcement level is, what the IPG is, and can, you know, answer some general questions... Uh, not terribly difficult, complicated questions about the IPG and apply that policy. And like a competent, like a, a new but competent level two should be able to head judge an RCQ in their store and have it be a good RCQ. Does that match what we're thinking in terms of the history of L2? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I do want to highlight the fact that you said a good RCQ. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can, a lot of people can run an RCQ. But the difference between the store, you know, person who works at the store answers the rules question and they're wrong 40% of the time and uh, a level two that's done this a couple times and knows all the rules and understands things and it can be a very wide difference. N knows how to manage the rounds, knows how to work with the TO, knows how to do a DQ efficiently and so on. Um, all, all knows the, how to all do a little... DQ at all. Right. I would oh, say, like, yeah. I've thought a lot about, like, where these things fall in the levels. I would say that, like, just knowing how a DQ works and how you should do it is, like, the lower bar for level two. But I don't want to play in an RCQ where the head judge has told us, well, I don't know how to DQ people, so I'm not going to do that today. Right? That's a bad plan. <laughs> That'd be rough. I don't think anyone would say that, but I'm certainly <laughs> sure there are some judges out there that if you press them, would feel that way. Uh, anyways, that's that's level two. And uh, when we look at old level three, the jump between old level two, which we just kind of talked about, it's the same as current level, or the Judge Foundry level two, and level three is, well, level threes are experts at everything, right? That, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, hype myself yeah. here, but like the general idea is they've been around and they know how to do all the stuff and they're experts in tournament logistics and head judging and mentoring and all the things. The difference between what we just described as level two and that is huge. So the point of Judge Foundry level three and Judge Foundry level four are to give stepping stones 
along that half to what is now Judge Foundry level five so that people can learn along the way and get those achievements and get that recognition of I'm able to do this thing now, or I've shown people that I can do this thing now, and now I can move on to the next thing. Um, so level three is going to, the, the way I describe it is expert floor judge and also probably reasonable at team leading. Um, these are going to be judges that you see a lot at uh, what we call multi-day events is what we've defined the term as a big event where lots of things happen. We call it a multi-day event. These are going to be strong floor judges that event who might team lead every once in a while, who know how all of the teams work and know policy fairly well, and you can expect them to get you know policy questions, like routine policy questions correct, and not struggle with them and not worry about you know their confidence or any of those things. Um, at a big event. It's, that, I, I know that's kind of vague, you can go read the requirements, but many level twos who've been level two for at least a year should look at level three and be like, oh, I'm definitely that. Like, I know all the things, I should be level three. Uh, the importance of level three is that for tournament organizers, the difference between someone who knows what the IPG is and knows what competitive tournaments are and someone who understands everything that we do at a large event is very large. So we want to like have a certification that is, I know how to do all the stuff, or I've seen all of the stuff, and I understand, you know, what a big event actually is. Uh, and then, did did you all have thoughts on that? We we talk about it, but I can tell you about level four as well. I mean, that seems pretty solid. Having a, a good idea of where things are, and it's a, it's a nice gradient between the different shades of level two that currently exist now, and it's a nice way to kind of divide it up evenly where it's measurable it's attainable and it's something you can visibly see from watching judges and having experience with them at events so pretty solid right it, and it falls below what i think a lot of people would have called level 2.5 in the past um where yeah yes that was never a really defined thing but a lot of the aspects of level level 2.5 involve more leadership more head judging more of these other things and we didn't want to include that. We want this to be like a good floor judge. This is the L2 that you say, yeah, you should staff this person. They're good, right? Like, and you don't need to tell the, the TO anything else. I would like to have them again. They know what they're doing. They're good. Then when we get to level four, level four takes on more head judging, more expert logistics, and more policy. And probably the highlight of, or the two highlights of level four are one, that you get to level four by doing a panel like you used to do with level three. It's a significantly easier panel than the old L3 panel was. And you also have to take the advanced rules and policy exam. Um, we could dig into exams more if you want, but the highest, the most difficult exam the Judge Foundry offers is this advanced rules and policy exam. And we're saying that level fours need to pass that. When you apply for a level five, you might need to pass it again, but there isn't a more difficult exam. Level four is like our policy experts. They get the questions right. They can tell you what the philosophy. They're the person that if you say, hey, go to them to do a GRV backup or an HCE, they're going to be able to always handle that situation really well. Uh, and they're going to be your Sunday head judges is the like really high level way of looking at this. Let, let me ask a quick question that's not in there about level five, because it's something I've thought yeah. about. And, and I don't know if you have the answer, but we'll put it out there. How many L5s do you think Judge Foundry will have? 
What, what's what's the what's the number? So that's a complicated question because it depends on how many U.S. and Canada L3s decide that they want to judge again. Uh, if you look at the American and Canadian L3s, there's 45 or 50 of them that haven't completely retired and were active like five years ago. And when I look at that list, there's at least 20 of them that might have only done one event or none events, zero events in the last five years. Okay. How many of them will come back? Okay. I don't know. It could be zero. It could be 15. Let's say so, out of the current pool, how many of them go in? Let me just say over under, is it five or 10? I, I just want yeah. to put it out there so that people hear this number so that they understand that L5 is somewhat rarefied error. Yeah, I, I mean, rarefied air might be the wrong way to put it, because we're not trying to establish that level fives are like the end-all be-all judge, and you need to respect them as gods. Um, but my estimate is probably 15 to 20 um, yeah. by the more end of like, next more year. More like it's a difficult goal to achieve, and that you right. know, and just is... because you're an L3 now doesn't mean that you have to feel like you have to go for L5. Correct. If you at The beginning of the level five article, which we posted last week... It basically says that we don't expect every current level three to want to get L5 because the old level three encompassed a bunch of uh, community aspects and other aspects that you don't necessarily have to go all the way to level five. Um, it took me about eight years as an L2 to become an L a level three. And I know some people are more motivated by various different things, but I feel like there's a lot of judges who ended up getting L3 in the old program and putting in all that extra effort because it was the recognition they wanted, but it wasn't necessarily the thing that they needed. Like right. they wanted to build communities and they needed level three to be able to be the person that built communities. And therefore, they had to go learn how to be really good at tournament event logistics in order to do that. And that's not necessarily what we want to enforce, because people want to do different things. So it's important to like not necessarily think about level five as the end-all, be-all greatest judge in the world. It's that they have the most uh, event logistics experience and head judge experience and they're likely to be a head judge of a really big event. And uh, another another factor, another limiting factor is the more L I'll, I'll say the more L5s there are, the harder it's going to be for new L for new L5s to get created just because we are operating in a environment where there's only so many opportunities to get the experience necessary in order to get to the particular level. And it that creates kind of a weird feedback situation where realistically, like if everyone gets a chance and everyone gets a shot and everyone, everyone, everyone gets to do things, you get to the point where you, you're a level four and it's easier to get judging opportunities to prove that you're a level five than it is once you become level five and then you're expected to give those opportunities to the level fours who are trying to become level five. Like, I realize that that's like, you know, like a hundred L, you know, with the program gets to like a hundred L5. I'm just throwing that out that as a number, but that is, there is going to be some equilibrium where the, just the event environment has the number of L5s that it can support. And 
I right. do also want to say that I really do like how transparent a lot of these, because if, if you have not already read through these articles as you're listening to this podcast, dear listener, uh, definitely head over to judgefoundry.org. There is a very well laid out article for every single one of the five levels on there that goes very in depth into what they expect and how to get to these positions. Because for some of you who were not around at the time or have just forgotten back in the day there were five judge levels and level five was much more of a shadowy cabal of like there's only five of them and you have to like <laughs> defeat one in ritualistic combat with a blood sacrifice to actually attain that level and nobody could ever really explain how you got there other than just like one day an angel came from on high and bestowed it upon you. So that that angel was Andy Hecht with Wizards of the Coast. Like also that yes. was that was how you became level four, level five is wizards blessed you. But but right. because a lot of a lot of our listeners may not be aware that the, the five levels did exist, they stopped existing in February of twenty sixteen. And 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 you can ask me how do I know that? And it's because I went and looked at the Judge Cast records for when Ricky Hayashi was last mentioned because when we last mentioned Riki in a show we mentioned him as making L4 and I know that about a week after he made L4 they got rid of the five level system <laughs> so that was back in February 2016 yeah but to that end there's a lot of detailed explanation of like okay you want to go for L5 and you think you're ready cool here's a full layout of everything that's expected everything you need to do and that goes for all of the levels for Judge Foundry so if you haven't dived into those uh, judgefoundry.org is a very good way to learn what is calling upon you uh, for whenever you want to get to any of these levels okay all right, so a question that I've seen, now that you've ex explained the, the levels, I've seen a lot of people look at this and go, okay, I'm a level two under Judge Academy. Am I, what is my level going to be? Is, is that level good for Judge Foundry? Or I did not join Judge Academy. I was under the old Judge program, a level two or a level three or a level one. Is my level going to be good there as well. So the simple answer to this is that whatever level you were on October 14th, when Judge Academy stopped operating, uh, Judge Foundry is going to honor that level and you get to move over as that level. In Judge then, Academy? Uh, in in Judge, Judge Academy, Academy level. Because there okay. wasn't, yeah, yeah. Whatever level you were in Judge Academy on the 14th. Um, okay. Anyone who has a level that they used to have or didn't re-up with Judge Academy or whatever, if you've ever been a higher level, you can still come over with that level, but the requirement is that you complete the appropriate maintenance for that level. So for level ones, you can go look at the maintenance on uh, mm -hmm. on the website, but for level ones, it's pretty simple. You have to have worked an event or two events and be part of the community fairly simple level two is also i wouldn't say trivially easy but if you're active in any way and used to be a level two getting your level two back is not going to be terribly difficult okay so there's there's not really a hey you you need to take a you know you need to pass a rules test because wizards has put out a gajillion rules changes in the last four years right it's just you you have been active so we assume that you've remained you've remained current on rules and 
And, you know, you've been current on policy because policy hasn't really changed that much. So one of the maintenance requirements year to year is that you pass a rules refresh exam. Now, the rules mm -hmm. refresh exam, or well, you can pass update quizzes or the rules refresh exam. We can talk about that more if you want. Um, but the, the update quizzes in general are a new set has come out. There are new rules. Here is a quiz. Please take the quiz so you know what the new mechanic in the set is. If you do that every time, you get to keep your level. You know, the passing score on these isn't 90%. You just need to go do the exams and or do the quizzes, and you get to keep your level. Um, for L2s and L3s coming back that weren't part of Judge Academy, they still do need to pass that update exam. But the update exam isn't the level 2 exam. It's not the level 3 exam. It's not going to be some horrendously difficult thing. It's going to just check, hey, you know, you didn't forget everything. Okay. Sounds great. So, so I want to ask a question then. Um, mm -hmm. how much is all of this going to cost? Cause I can't imagine that, you know, things are completely free. You've, you've mentioned a couple of things that sound to me like they cost money, uh, being incorporated as a nonprofit definitely costs some amount of money, um, server costs for the website and so on. Um, what are, what's going to be the outlay for the, uh, the average judge and is it going to be broken down by levels or anything like that? How's it, how's it all going to work? Uh, so starting with your last question there, uh, it's going to be the same for every level. Everybody's going to pay the same. And member dues are $5 a month for uh, in U.S. dollars and $7 a month in Canadian dollars for our Canadian friends. Um, I know that I've seen some discussion about it. Is that going to be um, something that we can pay for a year in advance or is that still being worked out? Uh, so as of right now, we're going to launch with just the monthly subscription. The ability to pay for a whole year is probably something that will get built into the system. It's just not part of our like MVP. We need to ship this on day one. So okay. I know we've seen, I mean, there's been a lot of feedback. I believe all of you are in the Discord. People want this thing. I want to be able to pay for a whole year. I would love to be able to let them pay for the whole year. Tech reasons. We want to get it all, you know, we want to get the thing out the door and let people be able to sign up and then we'll work that out in the next few months. Sure. All right. Uh, I do have a, a follow-on question of this, and I'm going to ask it the way I saw it on Reddit, which means it's going to be slightly antagonistic. Okay. You usually have that covered anyways, but that's okay. Well, sure. sure. Wow. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to – because here's here's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm trying to ask this question in the way that someone who is not understanding is going to ask the question. Okay, which is, why do I have to pay, you're asking me to pay, and I get to work for free. How's this, how's this a deal for me? So what you get from Judge Foundry is, top line, you get a legal organization that can do things by judges and for judges, and you get to be a part of that. But you also get a say in what that organization does. We're democratically electing our board next fall. So if you don't like the way we're doing things and don't like the way the organization is run, your vote counts. You get to pick part of the new board or you get to pick the new board and you get to be a part of that. Um, but more impactful to you is you get the website and the exams and the swag and the legitimacy of being a judge. When you say I'm a level two judge and you're not part of Judge Foundry, then you don't necessarily have all of the things that Judge Foundry is asserting about their judges. You're just 
a person that used to be a level two. And that might be enough for you. The TOs know you, but that's what everybody else is getting. And then you also get the community. You get our conferences, you get mentorship, you get recognition and all this other stuff. You get to part of that community and you get to contribute towards what judging is. Realistically, like this is from a judging standpoint, when you say like, I used to get stuff for free, you didn't. It's just someone else was paying for it, whether it was with their dollars or whether it was with their time, it was being paid for by someone else. And just like you're, you're a person that like, well, I've got, you know, I've got my, you know, my house, I do, I do my own thing. You're still paying taxes on roads. You're still paying taxes on schools, even though you don't go to schools, because the roads are part of the infrastructure that helps everyone. The schools are part of the infrastructure that help everyone. And this, the way I see it is, is this is part of the infrastructure that helps everyone. That's why it, 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 there's dollars associated with it. The cynical answer that you might get out of some judges who really like Judge Foundry, but don't appreciate the aggressive question is, it's because... A bunch of people built this thing and want to have this thing. And if you want to just be there and take advantage of it and not pay, then you can do that. But we all think that the judge program and being judges and being this community is important and we're willing to contribute to that. And that goes back to the historical judge program, judge academy. I mean, the big thing about the judge program has always been it is by judges, for judges. It's collaborative. It's communal. It is providing feedback, working together. I mean, that's the core of the judging community and always has been. So that lines up really well. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't as a level one, as a level two, you didn't get there by yourself. You might think you did, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, you've said that everyone's going to come in at their current level, right? Yep. So a level ones will come in as level ones, level twos will come in as level twos, level threes will come in as level threes. Okay, I am, me personally, uh, I feel that I am, I can roll at at least the level four level. Okay. How does that, how does that work? Do I have to go through the full advancement process or maybe I'm a level, a level two that operates at a higher level? Like what is the, is there an accelerated path? Is there a magic wand where poof, I'm a level four? So uh, this magic wand will exist um, and probably does exist by the time this this episode comes out because we're going to post about it later this week. Uh, and But I want to start with the magic wand for getting level three, which is that no, there isn't one. You have to do all the things, um, which I know might sound a little bit harsh, but the requirements for level three are that you show that you're a level three judge, which includes working some events, doing some different roles, writing reviews, and then you get a recommendation review from someone to say, hey, I think this person's a level three, and then you do an interview with a level four or higher judge, and they say, yep, you can be a level three. When we designed this, I was well aware, or we were well aware, that people are going to want to get level three right away, and if one person can just make someone level three by doing that interview or getting someone else to write them a quick, quick re recommendation and giving them that interview, then we don't need a complicated process to get a bunch of people to level three. I personally, when we launch or, you know, have been in the past week, I'm going to be doing a bunch of level three interviews because there are tons of judges that need to be level three. 
and I will just go do all the interviews myself if I have to. Um, okay. And I'm sure there's other judges that feel the same way. That So like, there is – no one's going to port over – existing level threes will not port over to the existing level three? So existing level threes will port over as level three, but existing okay. level twos don't have a button to press that says, I would like to be level three okay. without doing – with doing significantly less than the entire um, level three process. There, there's also, just asking them – There's also a policy test in there, right? Uh, correct. There is a uh, there is a policy exam that they need to pass. Yeah. So that policy okay. exam will exist. People will take the exam as long as you pass the exam and have someone that will wreck you, then you'll be fine. Now, note this isn't the level three exam. Like this isn't the old, very difficult judge program level three exam. We're not asking them to to take that exam. We're asking them to take an exam that is tailored for Judge Foundry level three. Which, if people are very confident in their ability to do that, that exam shouldn't be particularly challenging okay you have to go through all of the levels correct like if you are level two and you you will have to go to level three and level four there is no skip level three go straight to level four or anything like that correct um so i'll talk a little bit about the the way that people are going to get level four and level five fairly quickly um and then you can decide whether that counts as that uh first off i'll say anyone that's currently level two and thinks they should be a level four which there are people that are that, that I think should be that. Um, their priority should be get level three as quickly as you can, because if you expect to just get granted level four because that is possible and don't put the effort into getting level three, that you know might indicate to your level, to the people evaluating you for level four, that you're not willing to put in the extra effort and that you think you're, you know, you're entitled to this thing. Anyways, the way the level four process works, or the level four and level four five level four and level five process works, is that people submit an application. They say, "I think I should be this level." Here are the things that support that. There's going to be a list of things that you can include, uh, whether it be you know what tournaments you've had judged, what roles you've had, reviews you've written, all of that. You submit that application with what looks like a cover letter that says, "I these are the reasons why I should be." the level that I want, level four, level five. And then that will get reviewed by the level fives, which I know is a, a weird thing for me to say, but will get reviewed by the level fives and the level fives will decide whether you should just get that level. And the intent is to instruct them to be fairly conservative. If it's close, then you can say no and they can reapply in three months. And this will be available for the first six months just like the you can get level two or you can get your old level back by doing the maintenance will be available for the first six months. Okay. So yeah, that's that's the thing that the level fives will evaluate it. Um, you might have another question here. What are you talking about? There aren't any level fives. Yes. I can imagine a few people that are probably L5s. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of people can also imagine a few people that are L5s. And that's basically what we're going to go with. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to say anything here because that decisions haven't been made. Um, but essentially, we're going to pick some people and say, we don't think anyone's going to complain about these people being obviously level five. Here you go. They're going to make some of those first decisions. Um, and that's going to look like trustworthy people that clearly meet the requirements and that are respected by the community. And then we'll go from there. Now, is that limited to people strictly that are on the board or anyone who falls within those criteria? Um, it is almost certainly, and I'm not going to lock myself into this, but almost certainly nobody that is on the board will get that. 
Um, cool. Because I do not want, I think, the optics of the board saying we ourselves are the highest level judge is not <laughs> the best optics. Helps avoid the shadowy cabal. Vibe. Okay. Uh, I, correct. We would I'm like to. Super happy to hear that. Yeah. yeah I, I agreed. I've told other people that, like, we're not going to make ourselves L5s. There are people, multiple people, unsurprisingly, that a lot of people think should be level 5 on the board. But we're going to let someone else decide that. Because that's not really fair for us to invent a new system and then bestow ultimate power on ourselves. Is that what the bylaws are for? <laughs> <laughs> Writing bylaws when you talk about to the bylaws. make things work for yourselves? Yeah. Really? So, well, so we've let's... talked a lot about judges. Um, and, and we've gone into that at, at some length. Can you tell us a little bit about TOs and, and how they're going to interact with Judge Foundry and what you're going to do to meet their needs? And, and if you even you know heard from TOs at all yet? Yeah, so we've talked to uh, basically all of the TOs. Some of them have been involved directly in our conversations. Some of them we've gone back and forth with email, various different ways. Um, and we want them to be involved. We think a judge program that doesn't fit what the TOs need is not going to be very successful. So we need to, you know, talk to them, get feedback, do all those things. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about in the levels, when we went through all the levels, is the event admin certification. Um, that was partially created because a TO told us, hey, this is a really good idea. You should do this. And we were like, yeah, we agree. The people who work prize wall or registration or whatever, who aren't necessarily judges, have been part of our community, right? Like nobody doubts, nobody here doubts that they're part of this community that we call the judge community. Even though some of us who are judges who have been doing it, yes. Yes. Right. But there's there's some people who are judges who do it and some people who aren't. And we don't want to say, oh, this is the, the judge party. You know, you only take money at registration. You never passed an exam. You're not invited. Right. Obviously, we you don't, don't get to right. wear pink on Wednesdays. Right. Hey, exactly. look, so I look good in pink. Never mind. So we, we talked about that and we built that certification. Um, so we're like directly looking for this feedback from TOs, talking to them, figuring out what works best for them, and they'll be directly involved with us. Sure. Okay. Do, can you give us uh, can you give us any sort of vibe as to like so far what's the what has the reception been from the TOs? Like, are they looking at it going like? Yeah, we we see this as a as a viable alternative to Judge Foundry or, or or sorry Judge Academy or good to see good to see the the vibe of the old program back or eh we we already have extensive notes on people like yeah I mean it's some of all of that like that the, there's many different TOs and parties present might work directly with them and have a lot of influence on their decision making um so some of them are much more interested and you know interested in directly being involved and some of them are waiting to see so we'll see where they take it we're hoping that we're going to offer uh, a product that is judges we're going to offer judges that are good enough for them to you know i i i would doubt that any TO would go, oh, well, now that you're Judge Foundry level four and five, you seem committed to them. We're not going to hire you anymore, right? Like, they're kind of, they're, they're going to continue using the judges, and we're going to ask them for feedback, and they're going to be involved at least somehow. Okay. So, to that end, one big thing I've always heard is having easy access and means of communication between tournament organizers and the judging community. Uh, will Judge Foundry be using judge apps or a similar style of website 
to help facilitate that? Or like, what's the plan for a, an online hub central portal of some type? Uh, so our website is going to be heavily based on judge apps and just use the judge apps infrastructure. Um, I'm sure this doesn't come as a huge surprise to a lot of people. The judge apps infrastructure does a good job at exams and reviews and applications and a lot of things. So we want to take advantage of that. And we also want to, you know, refresh it a little bit. So other international orgs can also take advantage of that and it be the home for like magic judges in general. We're not going to take judge apps down and put down judge foundry apps and you can only use this if you're a judge foundry member um but there are going to be th some things in the judge foundry version of judge apps or the judge foundry portion of judge apps that are only for judge foundry members like you know the um if another organization pops up and wants to use judge apps they don't just get to use our exams because they exist they'll have to talk to judge judge foundry and figure out some way to handle letting them use our exams. So that actually leads to another question that we wanted to ask you, which is about how Judge Foundry is going to align itself or maybe better is coexist with other organizations in the world. Uh, is there any kind of concern or, or any lines of communication, first of all, uh, with other organizations? And beyond that, is there any concern that a Judge Foundry L3 would end up being different from like an EU L3 or a Mexico L3 or anywhere else that happens to appear down the line? Okay, so let's start with the first question. Um, we're talking to the other orgs. If they have gone public, then we have almost certainly talked to them unless they've secretly gone public somehow. Um, we <laughs> we want to... Our, our, our goal, as I said uh, a while ago, is that we wanted to create an organization that people could use like what we've done to kind of model or not model their organizations internationally after. But around the world, the needs of different judge programs are different. What the Mexico judge program or the Brazil judge program or the Australia judge program or the Finland judge program need from their judges and what those communities need from their judges is different than what US and Canada does. Almost Certainly, the, the U.S. and Canada and Europe are very unique in terms of their need for many, many like high-level head judges and you know expert tournament logistics judges. Um, so we expect different communities to build things slightly differently, but um, we want to partner with them. We want to offer them to you know license exam content and uh, build reciprocity, which kind of leads into your second question, like how do we make sure, or not make sure, but what do we do about different level systems across the world? So one of the things we want to do is, and this requires partnerships, so we can't just say we're going to do it. Other judge programs have to agree that we will honor each other's levels if someone moves between countries. So if you move from the US and Canada, US or Canada to Australia, and in Australia they're using the Judge Foundry level system if they choose to, and you want to join their program, the, the the agreement that we would have is you just get to be level three, level four, whatever you are over there. You don't have to retake your exam or do any of those things. Which I think makes sense. We would want that. Oh yeah. But it does mean that if some programs choose to have something different that isn't just the Judge Foundry level system, that that reciprocity agreement would have to come with a definition of what equals what. Because the Finland Judge Program 
might not need five levels. So they are they might cap out at level three or level four, and they might not match to us. But if someone moves from Finland to the U.S., we can still say, hey, if you were level three in Finland, you get to be level four in the U.S. because they may match up. So some sort of international conversion chart. Uh, yeah, and it would be like hopefully an exchange it, rate, right? In in an in, well, exchange rate change. These hopefully wouldn't change that much, but the. <laughs> The hope would be that there would be a group of organizations that all respected each other and said, hey, we're all going to agree to these being the level equivalencies, and we're all bought in on these, so we don't have to uh, you know, argue about it or deal with one of problems for the people that go between our organizations. Okay. Finish up your thought. Um, that, that doesn't prevent different organizations from having different levels, and... That's a thing that we're just going to have to live with without a like umbrella or international organization that forces everybody to do one thing. But I don't think that is like particularly realistic. At okay. least like nobody is going to create the judge program for the whole world and say everybody must follow these rules. So sure. we're stuck with everybody gets to do their own thing, or maybe not stuck with. We're going to live with everybody gets to do their own thing, and some of those things might be different. And that's okay. Hopefully the international reciprocity agreements will make it easy for people to say, you know, I'm basically a level four. Now, speaking of the reciprocity, let's say I am a U.S. level four in Judge Foundry and I move to Australia. Mm -hmm. Do I have to join the Australian organization or can I continue to be part of uh, Judge Foundry or vice versa? Like uh, I move from Australia to the U.S. The likely answer to this, and I don't know exactly how it will work because of, you know, prepaying for memberships and all that, can be complicated to work at those kind of things, um, is that you, you can't be a member of Judge Foundry if you don't, if you aren't in the U.S. and Canada. There's various international law reasons. That, as we talked about off the top, we want to serve the U.S. and Canada, not the rest of the world. You can't just join our program because you say you want to. Is that a is it restricted to U.S. and Canada uh, citizens or like living on U.S. soil? If you were in a like a military base, a U.S. military base in Germany, yeah, it's 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 essentially going to be United States residents. Um, so we're you know we cover Guam, we cover all of the places that are the United States that aren't the United States that are the United States. Okay, so a military a military base in Germany would count. Uh, I believe that would count. Okay. I'm not so don't, I, so don't quote you but you, you hope you that's the hope. Yeah, see this is why you need lawyers sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of those things that you one need those, to pay dues you dues are for. Yes, you 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 pay dues because sometimes you do need indeed need to ask a lawyer for an answer to a question and lawyers are expensive. And we can't Very just expensive. not have lawyers. As much as we would all love to not have lawyers. Okay. So then tangential to the previous question of how Judge Foundry wants to coexist with other organizations around the world, here's kind of a corner case. What if other organizations decide to pop up within the same region? So just for example, let's say another organization decides to start up within the United States. Let's say what the can your let's, plans for let's say the Kansas oh. Collective. Yeah. Or, or the Southeast judges decided to do a Florida judge program. Oh, God, no. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Can I, 
Can I quit and join that one? Wait, never mind. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm um, going to form my own judge program. <laughs> there you go. JudgeCast decides we're going to do the JudgeCast judge program. What, what was, what's the, the Futurama thing? I'm going to form my own judge program with Blackjack and strippers. <laughs> so let's say just somebody Lord. decides yeah. to come up and do something. Uh, that may or may not be suitable for other judges, and it could be something that other judges may want to consider. Uh, what would your plans for coexisting be? Do you think that's even likely to happen? And I say this not necessarily for the U.S., but who knows? Maybe there are competing things in other countries for legitimate reasons. Like, how would that even work? So what I would say is that having more than one judge program in a region is going to be we'll say generally detrimental to those judges because having to choose a side and things not being the same and things being inconsistent and the things are being taught being consistent and this level three being unable to, to recommend this level two from over here to be a level three, but they've worked together a whole bunch. That's really difficult. Um, so lots of reasons why having two isn't the best for everyone. The way we would approach it is I, I wouldn't say we want to be hostile, but we think Judge Foundry should be the judge program for the United States and Canada. So if someone else wants to come compete with that, we're going to try and offer something that we think is a better product, being both for the judges and for the TOs, with you know the judges being our product and our business. We hope that our business league will be better than the other business league options or other options that people have out there. And And realistically, if some people wanted to form another judge program within the U.S., they have to do first off they have to do a lot of catch up work just to get to the the level of infrastructure that that the judge foundry had and since there are elections and you know boards and stuff like that it's probably a lot easier to just try to change the culture in the existing program than to build a whole other one and to hope that you know if you build it they will come sure yep hostile takeover i mean Right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. I don't know. I'm lazy. I'd rather just take over something else that someone else built rather than build my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Fair. <laughs> uh, so are there going to be bylaws? And will they be, you know, visible? Um, so there have to be bylaws uh, because we're but we're both a nonprofit that has to, like, give our bylaws to the IRS so they can look at them. And we're a incorporated in Minnesota, and we're required to have bylaws in order to do that. That's part of the laws. Uh, because we have to file, or we are filing, or have filed, whatever the definition of future is, uh, with the IRS to say, hey, we are you know, a 501c6, when that gets accepted, which we expect it to, because we're following all the rules, um, those bylaws just get published and everybody gets to see them. It's part of the IRS filing. So that necessarily means the bylaws get to be public. Uh, one of our values is transparency. I don't see any good reason to not just publish the bylaws once they're ready to be published. Um, so that's the intent. They're going to be out there. You're going to get to see them, whether that's this week, next week, or has already happened. I don't actually know when that will exactly happen. There's various reasons why it may or may not have already happened. And just and just like your bylaws have to be public, your financial disclosures or spendings Correct. have to be public as well, right? Yes. So a lot of people have asked, like, you know, 
what what are you going to do with the money? What do you need all this money for? Well, the answer is what we've said, lawyers, servers, building all this stuff. But we have to tell the IRS every year, here's what we spent all our money on and break it down by the thing. And you just get to go look at that form and say, why is the board compensation or the compensation for this particular person so much money? Well, that's not going to be true because we're not going to, you know, pay anyone thousands of dollars to do their job. Um, ooh, depends on what the job is. Perhaps e- lawyers, except lawyers. You my point. Is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lawyers right. Have exactly. Something to say about that. Um, right. But like, it would be unwise of us to do something like just agree to hire someone and pay them tens of thousands of dollars a year to be a social media manager, and then have all the judges come out in a year and be like, "Why did you spend half of our money on having a social media manager?" Like six of us could have just done that, and we were glad to do it. That doesn't make any sense. So we're like, we have to post all of these things. People are going to, get to see them, and then if you don't like what the board is doing, you just get to vote for a new board and kick out the old people who you don't like what they're doing anymore. And and people are going to be able to see like how much this stuff actually costs. Like a lot of people were talking about, like Judge Academy. You know, not understanding why they needed needed so much money, but when you think about it, like just five five dollar dues, an hour long conversation with a lawyer can be, and this is like middle of the road, can be one hundred person months of dues. Yes, like eight year eight years of your dues for one one hour conversation with a lawyer. That's where you know <laughs> stuff's expensive. And I wish I could say there's ways around that because there are ways that you can avoid asking lawyers every single question you want to ask. Like that's where you run up the bills is you go to the lawyers every time you have a question and say, hey, please tell us exactly what we need to do. Turns out there's some judges who have experience with the law and various things, and we can go get general ideas. And then when you actually need to go to the lawyers and say, okay, we've decided this is the plan. We would like 15 billable minutes for you to verify that this plan is legal. And then the you know the lawyer that you pay oh. says yes, and you pay them, you know whatever a quarter of their hourly rate is. Oh, nice. Um, so one of the things that the bylaw covers is going to be elections. Yes. Right. Can you talk a little bit about how electing the board is going to work? I know that there was a lot of discussion behind the scenes regarding that. Um, so we have an article about elections. You can go read for more details, but briefly, uh, every year we will have an election. We'll have a meeting where everybody that attends the meeting gets to, uh, and you can attend virtually. You don't have to physically come to where the meeting is, uh, gets to vote for the board of directors. And, uh, you know, a few weeks prior to that, the exact logistics to be determined, it'll probably be partially in the bylaws, partially announced every year. Um, people will get to say, hey, I would like to be uh, a member of the board. I would like to run to be the member, uh, a member of the board. Um, hopefully that person is willing to say, here are the things I would like to do. Here are my opinions on some things. Um, because if you just want to be a member of the board and don't have that, that uh, might not work out very well for you. And then we vote. Uh, so in order to be a board member and to run to be a board member, you need to be a level three judge foundry judge. Um this is for various reasons. One is it's a level of commitment that we believe that people understand how the program works and have been a member for sufficiently long enough to have learned about Judge Foundry and the way it works and the way its selections work and all of these other things. Uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't level twos that can't be a great director or great mem- great member of the board of directors, but we're choosing to restrict this because 
we think they should be qualified to we, we, th we want board members to be qualified at the level three level and to have a trust from the community that we think level three demonstrates so the way that the elections actually work is they use proportional ranked choice voting and there are five board members uh, there's lots of details about proportional ranked choice voting. We could talk about it if you want um, on the uh, elections article. But the the really high level thing is all you need in order to uh, win a board seat is to get 17% of the people who are voting to vote for you as their first choice. Everybody will get a ballot with all of the people that they can choose from. They'll get to rank those people from top to bottom. And if you get at least 17% of the number one votes, then you're on the board. Um, this The proportional rank choice voting has a few advantages. Um, but the biggest one is that, as you might think, 17% is not a high percent. But it's enough that there can't be five other people to get more votes than you. And it means that we necessarily have to, we necessarily will get a diversity of opinions on the board. If we had a first-past-the-post system where everybody got to vote for each of five board seats individually, then you could just have, you know, 30 or 40 percent of the people who have the opinion of what's a uh, what's a funny judge opinion to have um, that all the judge shirts should be green now, right? We're the the green party per se, and we're only going to vote for people <laughs> who think all the judge shirts should be green, but there's only 40% of us, but it turns out that's all you need in order to win all of the seats. Uh, in a world where 40% of the people want the judge shirts to be green, with proportional rank choice voting, they get two seats, not five. That's kind of the point. Okay. Uh, now, you, you, said, you said that if you get at least 17% of the people voting as you for as first place, you're on the you're on the board. But doesn't it doesn't it like if someone gets like 70% of the vote as their first pick, then because you only need 17% based on the, the, the five other people, then the other uh, was like 50 some odd percent, the number two choices kind of get kind of get filtered to to the other votes. Correct. The mechanic um, of okay. proportional rank choice voting is that if someone got 70% of the first place votes, then uh, you would take you would add up all of the second place votes for that person and you would multiply how many votes that each candidate got of those second place votes by uh, 53 divided by 70. So about five sevenths. Uh, and they would all count as like you, you would, that person wins. They're eliminated from the people who are running now because they've won a seat. And now all of the second place votes count. And then you retabulate and you it, do that yeah. over and over again. So, the the math is kind of complicated, but essentially it's the across the program, the the people that got the highest the 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 highest votes like collectively within like the first, second, third, fourth, you know, we kind of look at across the board like who did the best uh, uh on the ballots as a whole. Like looking at the whole the ballot as a whole, right? Yeah, it, it it's somewhat like that. Um, if you want a more concrete example, if you if we uh, so we have five seats, imagine a situation where you have a bunch of people that want our shirts to be purple and a bunch of people who want our shirts to be green, right? If 70% of the people voted for the biggest purple candidate and 
30% voted for the biggest green candidate, then they would each elect one candidate, right? Now there's one purple person on the board and one green shirt person on the board. And then all of those, all of those votes, they just get reassigned. So the, the there's everybody's second choice vote matters. So yeah. when you make your choice, you're, you know, if, if there's two people that are running on purple and green shirts, but then everybody else is running on, you know, normal judge things that we want to make end around better or whatever it is. Now you're, you don't have to commit your vote to only being for this one person. Cause you care most about purple shirts, right? You get to also it, say, I think these other things are important, or I think these other candidates, you know, deserve my vote. Rank, rank choice voting is it's complicated and we probably haven't done a Great job of explaining it, but go check it out. It's very fair. It's so fair and representative of the population that uh, Florida has outlawed it in our local elections. <laughs> that's how that's how fair and reasonable it is, is our legislation has outlawed it. If that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so good Why am that I in Florida? Florida made it illegal. So what we're talking about here, a lot of it sounds like the old judge program and spheres. Uh, is, are there similarities here? Uh, how does this all work? Um, so Judge Foundry is going to have some things that look a lot like spheres, but aren't spheres. But for a little bit of clarity on what you mean by spheres, uh, the old judge program organized its leadership by having program coordinators and then those program coordinators would assign parts of or parts of the judge program or categories of projects like learning or testing to people that would be sphere leads and then oversee a bunch of projects so for example you might have the learning sphere that has a lead that has a bunch of different projects in it like knowledge pool or other educational projects that would go out and teach judges things. And then that sphere lead, the learning sphere lead, would report back to the judge, the program coordinators and say, hey, hey, here's how things are going, take direction, that kind of thing. Uh, judge Foundry is going to be similar to that, uh, but the spheres aren't quite exactly the same. Board members aren't just going to do all of the work in Judge Foundry. They're, the board is going to select some people uh, or find people to do large projects, large important projects for them uh, that might look kind of like sphere leads. As an example, you might have a lead for all of our levels and testing who's in charge of making sure that exams are created, the defining all of the levels and managing the level three advance or the level four and five advancement process. And that's going to be multiple separate projects. And that person might look like a sphere lead and the, board will say, hey, you're in charge of this, and then they get to go do all those things. Uh, it's worth noting that because of the way that Judge Foundry works and the way boards work is that, generally speaking, the board will say, or the board will decide, we would like to do this thing. We are going to assign doing that thing to this person, this lead of levels or whatever, um, and then that person will go implement that however they would like, possibly with additional direction from the board. So as an example, if the board wanted to create some sort of new certification or make some new certifications, they might say, hey, we want new certifications that kind of look like this. Can we have you, project lead, go recommend what certifications we create and what those look like? And then the board would maintain the ability to approve those things and say, this actually exists now. So yes, kind of, we have what will look like sphere leads, but they're going to be different. Spheres aren't going to be exactly the same, but there's going to be a lot of projects that need to be done in a similar way. Yeah. 
I, I think from the the organizational structure, even though they were spheres, they were like learning conferences, uh, exemplar, exemplar. There were a policy. There, those are just areas that need to be managed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so other judge organizations and most recently judge academy uh mentioned that they had uh support from wizards of the coast uh what is judge foundry's hopes and aspirations on how they want to develop a relationship with wizards is this something that you know wizards is something you feel is strictly necessary for judge foundry to be successful uh, is it kind of like a, a take it or leave it kind of thing? Do you even care, really, uh, if Wizards offers any kind of support to Judge Foundry? Like, where do you all fall in that line? Uh, so what I'll say is that we built Judge Foundry to not necessarily need explicit support from Wizards. And Wizards didn't tell us, hey, go make this thing. They can't really... Tell us, go make this thing. There's some legal implications about a for-profit company making a non-profit in order to thinly veiled have volunteers do work for them, which, you know, judges have had these employment issues in the past, so they can't do that. Um, we formed as an independent organization. We would love to work with tournament organizers and wizards and anyone interested in the things that judges do in the United States and Canada. So developing a relationship with wizards, I think most people would agree would be a good thing. It's kind of necessary if judge foils are ever to exist. But like we said earlier, we don't know whether that's even going to happen at all. Um, so in terms of what we want that relationship to be, uh, it's kind of up in the air. It's up for wizards to, you know, think about what they want to do and talk to us and we'll move forward on that. I like the the perspective of uh yes you you want to get support from wizards in a way that makes sense for judges to do what they need to do as part of judge foundry and not strictly as a well you know if daddy doesn't say that I can go and do this then I'm not gonna you know right the judge foundry board like we're the the five of us don't want to be beholden to wizards uh, and future boards probably also don't want to be specifically beholden to wizards. So anything we go do is going to be for the best interest of the organization, not just whatever wizards tells us to do. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. However, from from a, a a good thing, a good relationship would be if the board was aware of organizational play changes, you know, that were going to happen in six to eight months then they could begin looking at what necessary changes or or how that organizational play change would affect levels or the need for judges at particular levels um, yeah and that might you, that might help the rest of the world too like uh you know who knows what's going to happen we don't know what's going to happen next year i don't think anyone here knows what's going to happen next year everything's in flux but if if wizards approached judge foundry and said hey here's this thing that's going to happen in six months you should design some updates for your levels don't tell anyone about it but design some updates so when we announce this you can announce that and then the rest of the judge programs can go oh i guess we can just do what they did and then they don't have to like figure it all out on their own Let's be realistic here, though. You, I said six to nine months. You said six months. It's really going to be six to nine hours. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but but I mean, it's 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 not actually unheard of because if you look at like in 2014, 
we redefined level two, we raised the bar on level two so that the baseline was being able to like head judge a 60, 70 person event. And then they announced uh, PPTQs about wow. six months later with wow. the expectation that those things <laughs> were going to be 60. Now, the reality was they were in the 14 to 30 player range. And, oh, look, L2 changed its definition about six months to a year after that became the case. But, yeah, <laughs> those I mean, that wouldn't be the first time that there was a, a, a change. Um, OK, so. I've got a, a question. Uh, question: When, uh, and just to say this explicitly, when do y'all open? Open for business. Um, so it's possible the answer to this question is now in the past, as you are listening to this. It's possible that it is exactly right now, and it's possible that it's in the future, which is the greatest non-answer of all time. Um, but the the expectation is that we're going to go live in the near future, and it is certainly possible that we'll be live in the next week from our recording, so slightly before Thanksgiving. Um, there's a bunch of things that tie into whether we can go live and the things we have to do to go live, so we're not going to make any promises, we're not going to say when we're going to do it. Um, it'll come up, and you'll be able to sign up, and then we'll go from there. And then... Second, second to last, second to last question, but last question for for Judge Foundry specifically. Um, so behind the scenes, like writing articles, uh, you've put in a ton of work on the level redefinitions, thinking about this kind of stuff, uh, continuing to write the articles. Like, what's what's your driving motivation? Like, why Judge Foundry for you personally, Texas Joe? Uh, so I've been a judge for. 14 years now, long time. It's a huge part of my life. It's things that's important to me. And when we started talking about what would happen in the future earlier this year, I had a vision for what we might be able to do. And that matched the vision of some other people. And we started talking about it. And I'm, you know, highly motivated to make that vision happen and make things better for judges. There's lots of people I work with a lot and my mentors and people I've mentored and tournament organizers and everybody that I think have, you know, struggled through different eras of the judge program. And I think this can make it better. And I believe in it and I'm willing to put in the work to see if that can happen. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, cool. um, you mentioned mentors and, and at some point in time, I'd, I'd really like to just ask you who are your mentors and why um, and, and how important is mentorship going to play in the program? But I think we'll, we'll hear more about that soon. I, re I really, I really do. I, th I think uh, mentorship is going to be important to Foundry. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's included in all of our levels. you, you know, you need to have a level two to get you to level one, which is a little bit controversial, but that's there. That's, that's a requirement now. Um, and mentorship is an important thing that may not have as explicitly been required in the past, even though I know a lot of people, you know, still do think that's really important. And now it's going it to continue yes. to be. I'm excited. Um, 100%. Where, where can people find you? And, and do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, so you can find Judge Foundry at judgefoundry.org. Uh, all of our information's on there, link to our Discord. You can come join the community, talk to us, give us feedback. If you had feedback about anything in this episode, anything you want to change, any ideas you have, please come on the Discord and tell us. Um, I, 
no understatement. People come on the Discord and say things every day, and then we talk about them internally and go, should we change this? Like, we are open to feedback. We love all the feedback. Please keep telling us things to do. We will evaluate them and decide what to do. Uh, the thing I would like to plug personally is the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. It's a charity tournament I run in Hearst, Texas, Hearst, Texas every year. Uh, it's in the DFW area. We're a charity that supports... Um, Suicide Awareness and Prevention. This is in March of next year. You can find us at HunterBurtonMemorialOpen.com. Uh, and you know, it's a great organization. Uh, I'm sure most of the Texas and Texas area judges that are listening might already be planning to be on staff for that event. Um, but anyone that's out there wants to, get to come check it out, it's a great event. It's real fun. Love to see more people out. Yeah. Every time I hear about the event, um, it's well covered on social media. I, I, I admire the, the work that's being done there, and I'm, I'm thankful for your efforts for that. Yeah, it's All a right. lot of fun. It's the, it's the best event of the year for a lot of reasons. We get to do a lot of fun things that maybe we wouldn't <laughs> get to do at other events. Awesome. Uh, well, well, Joe, thank thank you for coming on and uh, appreciate appreciate all the work that you do and the other other trustees, uh, Amanda, John, Brian, uh, Rob, Bears. Uh, appreciate appreciate y'all stepping stepping up so that we weren't uh, left adrift, as it were. Every every everyone for themselves. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, it's been a fun time. Great to talk to you, and thanks for yeah. having me out. Hopefully we can you know, talk again in the future, and Judge Foundry succeeds, and everybody gets to be level five. <laughs> uh, about that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> all right, that's our episode tonight. Uh, join us next time when we may talk about... Oh, jeez, I don't know. I really want to talk about KubeCon, but I just don't know when it gets to happen. Anyway. Uh, until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast and on blue sky at judgecast.bsky.social. And check out any of our social media for invite links to our Discord server for judges new and old, fans, and anyone who supports the judging community. Until next time, I'm Charles Feather and I keep it fair. I'm Marcos Sanchez and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep confusing the difference between a forge and a foundry. Mm -hmm.